We're interrupting for breaking news. There is a uh, quite a drop happening on Wall Street. A massive sell-off is happening today. And the question is, is this the first slide in a big bear market? And for consumers, perhaps the start of a recession? There's been a panic in the stock markets in recent weeks after the Dow Jones plunged more than a thousand points on a single Monday in the first week of February. It really is, who do you believe these lurid global headlines about bloodbath, the possible end of cheap money? But who is Dow Jones and how do you score points in this game anyway? For many of us, business reporting ends up making less sense than the shipping forecast or some more relatable reference to a thing that is confusing. By midday tomorrow. Low Humber 1019 losing its identity. Where? Well, it's lumpy, it's bumpy, it's stormy again today. Trader Scott Shelledy, uh, known as the cow guy here in the United Kingdom. I think we can see why. Um, tell us what you think is going on with the market. The FTSE 100, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500. What does the rise and fall of these so-called indexes really tell us about the wider economy? When the stock market plunges, should all of us be worried? Or is it just the people wealthy enough to be trading who are losing out? My name's Aisha Thomas-Smith, and today on the Weekly Economics Podcast, I'm trying to get my head around the stock market. Stay with us. So, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast for the first time, NEF economist Frank Van Leuven. Frank, are you Van Leuven it? I'm, I'm definitely loving being here at NEF, and <laughs> thank you very much for having me on, on the podcast today. Oh, very nice to have you, and again, unreserved apologies. Uh, and joining Frank is also a very special guest, Anna Isaac, who's the economics correspondent at The Telegraph. Welcome, Anna. Oh, thanks for having me, yeah, great to be here. So before we jump into chatting about the stock market, first we've got our usual headline segment and a look back at economic stories in recent weeks that have caught your eye. Anna, what do you think our listeners should be paying attention to? I think it's going to be a really interesting week ahead based on last week's news on the potential Brexit deal we might have. So people are coming up with lots of different scenarios at this stage. Um, You know, the general move from the government has been to leave the customs union. So people are looking at kind of what alternative customs arrangements we could have. Something that's come out is following the CBI's call to stay in the customs union the uh, Institute of Directors, the IOD, which has 30,000 members who are business leaders, Mm. has put forward a proposal for a a bit of a Turkey-style solution. So that would involve having a partial customs union that covered certain things, and it would be particularly useful for manufacturers, potentially, Um, although there are lots of issues on kind of how much say Turkey gets with new EU trade deals that might need to be factored in. How, whether or not it gave UK enough power over its own trade deals. But from a, from a trade, kind of the big trade story of the week, I think that's going to be big. And then uh, coming up, um, there's going to be a meeting with Michel Barnier with the uh, exiting the EU committee. It will be an interesting update on kind of where we're next at with our next round of negotiations with our biggest trading partner. Great stuff. So look out for Turkey Style Solutions and Michelle Barnier. Uh, Frank, what have you got for us? Um, well, I don't know if you saw, but yesterday a new report came out showing that the world's biggest banks are failing to take climate change seriously um, in their business plans. Less than half of the 59 international banks surveyed by the Boston Common Asset Management have carried out a, a scenario analysis for if global temperatures rise above more than 2 degrees Celsius 
And this is essentially what Mark Carney, the, the governor of the Bank of England, really wanted them to do, and they're not doing this. So this is important because climate change and efforts to mitigate uh, climate change could pose a number of systemic risks to our financial system. Now, in the run-up to 2008, various economists kind of were warning about the housing bubble. And the reaction of policymakers at the time was that markets could deal with these risks by themselves. Um, and we saw how that went. And actually, policymakers have reacted by recently having reacted by implementing new regulations. Now, we have essentially what carbon trackers called a carbon bubble. And what NEF is advocating for is, is kind of green prudential regulations. Um, because jargon, jargon. What does that mean? So what, what we're advocating for at NEF is, is for basically for more rules because banks cannot be left to their own devices mm. to mitigate to these risks of climate change, as, as this report shows. Thanks. That sounds very sensible. Uh, OK, so more headlines next week. But now for our big question, what's going on with the stock markets and does it matter? Donald Trump had been boasting for months on Twitter about a stock market boom on his watch. Our stock, Our market, stock market is at an all-time high. The stock market just hit a record high. The stock market is at an all-time high. All-time high, all-time high. All-time high. The stock market reached yet another all-time in history. All-time high today. There is a uh, quite a drop happening on Wall Street. A massive sell-off is happening today. But he had much less to say about it when markets tumbled in the first week of February. What about the Dow, sir? The Dow has dropped. From President Trump, no response late today to questions about the Dow drop. Walking into the White House. A couple of weeks ago, Wall Street had its worst day in more than six years, with the Dow Jones index falling 4.6% in just 24 hours. There were knock-on effects for stock markets around the world, and markets have continued to fluctuate since, stoking fears of a possible crash. Cut through the jargon here. Was it a crash, a crisis, or is it don't panic? Don't panic. There was no panic, and it was all computer, all algo okay. systems. Let's blame it on the computer, That's then. It. So are we in the midst of a panic, or should we all calm down? How much does it matter to the average person? Or are stock markets all just a game for 80s throwbacks with big egos and small hands? So, simple question to start with. What do we mean when we talk about the stock markets? Frank, what are we going on about? So, yeah, before we start talking about what stock markets are, let's, let's kind of begin with defining what a stock is. If you own a stock, you actually own a piece of, of a company. For example, if you own a share of Apple, congratulations, you are... <laughs> part owner of Apple, or in, in, in economic jargon, you are a shareholder. Um, a stock market is a place where people buy and sell their stocks. So um, those happen on many sites, both physical and virtual, and these are known as exchanges. Um, the UK has one of the oldest exchanges in, in the world, and it's got the, the third biggest exchange in the world, and it's called the, the London Stock Exchange. Um, in the US, you have the New York Stock Exchange, which is called the NYSE, and the NASDAQ. Those are the two big ones. Um, now, businesses can essentially raise money by selling their, their stocks um, to willing investors. Maybe you've seen the, the Dragon's Den, mm. where a piece or a percentage of the company is essentially sold to an investor in return for their investment. Um, and this is for, for example, you know, like research or creating new products or kind of trying to build the company. Um, 
Essentially, as a shareholder or owner of the company, you're entitled to the earnings of the company. And if the company's profits go up, then your share in those profits also. You get a share in those profits. Ah. It's all making sense. I should just watch Dragon's Den and wonder what the hell is going on. All right, so what's the difference between the Dow Jones, the FTSE 100, and all these other indexes? If, if you say that the stock market was going up or down today, that's kind of a good way to, to begin when you're looking at what these indexes are. You're, you're actually referring to the stock market as a single entity. They're talking about how all the stock markets are doing. So in that context, what most people are referring to are what's known as indexes, such as the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the um, NASDAQ Composite Index, the S&P 500, the FTSE 100, etc. In each case, the index is basically um, a basket of stocks that are averaged to give a sense of the overall performance of the market. Um, obviously, if you hold um, stock in only one or two companies, um, the performance of the index tells you nothing about how the stock did, but does give you a bit of a general idea um, about what's going on in with with traders and 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 the stock at the time. Okay, so who's actually buying all these stocks and shares? Anna, can anyone get involved, or is it just wealthy people buying and selling and yelling? Okay, so um, there are there are lots of different kinds of entities um, and individuals that will hold different kinds of stocks. So one of the biggest holders of um, stocks in any given um, index are often pension funds. Um, so they're very significant when we talk about different movements on, on the stock exchange. Um, when we talk about those as a big lump, we call them equities. So lots of the biggest buyers of equities um, when we talk about these stock markets are pension funds. Like um, BT, for example, has one of the biggest pension funds in the UK. So those are one of one of the groups that will be looking at share prices and thinking, oh, right, well, how, what, what's the likely impact of that going to be in terms of the overall value of what our pension fund holds. So those assets, those equities, those shares that have just been described. Um, you get institutions that will hold shares. So things like the Wellcome Trust, for example. Um, they manage a big pot of money to keep all of their projects going. They'll have investments because they're trying to get a return on that money, particularly when things like we've had recently, we've got very low interest rates. Lots of people have been looking to things like equities to try and get a return and as the stock market's been steadily climbing, it's been a very attractive place to put your money. So you've got, you've got, um, you've got big pension funds as an aggregate entity. You've got institutions. You also do have individuals that will choose to buy. Um, you know, they've got some money. They want to personally invest it themselves. Mm. So they will buy a few shares in a few different places. Um, so there's a, there's a big group of um, big widespread of people that have interest in these, in these stock markets. So it's not just right to say it's just big business that are affected by by these sort of movements, when we talk about them in the economy, you do get people that are personally affected either through their pension or because they're personally investing. Mm. So if the pension groups are deciding to invest on the behalf of people whose pensions they have, mm. is that risky then? Well, what they'll try and do is they will have some money in the stock market or stock markets, but they'll also have money in different forms of assets. So they might put mm. some money in things like bonds, which is um, generally a slightly lower risk way to hold on to money so you'd, you'd buy bonds that would have a guaranteed return fixed return mm. um you can do other forms of investment as well so it's just it's one way to invest the money you'd normally try and spread it in as many different different asset classes as possible you'd have some in equities some in the stock market you'd have some in bonds you'd have some in other forms of other forms of assets so yeah not just not just that so that's a bit less stressful all right so what led to the big dip in stock markets a couple of weeks ago what happened there 
Well, there's lots of different theories that that are flying around at the moment, but I think one of the very reliable ones is that we had slightly better than expected signs of wage growth and employment in the US. So you have something called the Phillips curve, and that makes everyone go, ooh, what on earth's that? But Mm. basically, it's it's a relationship um, between pay rises in the economy and the number of people that are employed in the economy, and they can lead to inflation. So when people talk about the um, Phillips curve having sort of disappeared, it's when you've had very high rates of employment, but you haven't had the inflation that you'd expect to go with that. Mm. Right. So we've had in the UK, for instance, very high employment, but wages haven't risen. So there haven't been those inflationary pressures that people have expected. Now, normally when inflation's low, equity, the stock market's quite happy. They tend to trend upwards. That's historically been a sort of bit of a relationship between them. However, when you had these really good job figures from the US, there was a bit of a panic that they hadn't sufficiently priced in higher inflation levels in the stock market. That means they hadn't hadn't bet the right ways for higher inflation. So what you had was then all of a bit of a panic to suddenly rush and try and sell, 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 because people were just wondering, with inflation snapping back, are we going to be in the right position? Should we be going into different asset classes? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what led it. You also had something called, um, it's known as the fear index or the volatility index, which is you can either bet on the stock market having a very calm time or a very active time. And because the fear index for the last 10 years, everything's been quite plain sailing because we haven't had a big sort of um, lots of plunging around, um, people hadn't been getting much return on that. So betting on volatility in the markets hadn't been getting them much money. Mm. So people had invested in a different thing called the inverse volatility index, for want of a better explanation, but it's with the letters XIV. So if people have heard... Um, if people have heard like uh, things like risk bonds or anything like that recently, this can is a similar type of asset. But basically, you bet on the market being calm. People hadn't seen the market going choppy, so they bet it on it being calm, plain sailing. However, as soon as you had volatility returning to the markets that might have come out of this US jobs data when people are starting to worry about inflation, people suddenly lost a lot of money. Those asset classes where people had bet on very calm markets lost 80% of their value in one day. And so that's something that added to the kind of panic on the market when people started selling off assets. Mm. So it sounds to me that this was something that kind of happened in response to like quite what sounds like positive news from the states, you know, higher wages, more jobs. So what, what does it say about the fact that the stock market wasn't prepared for that? Yeah, it's something that can happen when you have a bit of an inverse relationship between when the stock market's going up and up and looking happy and when the general economy is looking happy. They don't always stay together. Mm. We also have to go back in time and kind of look at what has been really, you know, underlying the increasing increases in stock market values. And you can't really talk about that without talking about what central banks and governments have been doing over the last 10 years. And in response to the, the 2008 financial crisis, and essentially what central banks have been doing is what's called, well, they've, they've lowered interest rates to a historic levels of, of yeah, their all-time historic lows. But at the same time, they've been doing something what's called, this is real jargon, quantitative easing. And essentially what quantitative easing is the the, the central bank creating new money at the stroke of the key mm. and buying all the, the safe assets um, um, that, that was referred to earlier and, the, and pumping basically new money into the financial markets in return for safe assets, hoping that investors go and, and take that new money and invest in riskier stocks, right? Mm. 
And so what you've had over the last 10 years, actually, is about 15 trillions worth of new money by central banks being pumped into financial markets with the exact intention of blowing up stock markets. That is the overall intention. And, and so fundamentally, there's actually not necessarily anything, no, no real connection to, to the real economy, people's wages, to, to employment, so to speak. And, and, that's, and, and so stock markets haven't really been going up because of those factors. And consequently, we have the second highest level of overvaluation in stocks in, in history, higher than in, in, in 1929 before the stock market um, bu bubble. Mm. Even if shares fell by 50% today, um, they'd still be twice as expensive as they've been on average for the last 140 years. So I guess the point that I just want to make is, is, is that um, stocks are, are heavily overvalued primarily because of central, central banks and, the, and their programs. And I believe that while that was definitely the short-term cause of, of what led to the volatility, that that was eventually going to happen because of the this, this central bank-induced stock market bubble. And what's the motivation for that? I mean, I guess to the kind of lay listener, it's very unclear why they would want to do that. So the, the idea by pumping up you know, trillions of dollars into stock markets and into the financial markets is that hopefully some of this eventually um, trickles down, so to speak, yeah. into the real economy in, and, and gets you know, investment going, and, and so to speak. But the, the problem is essentially that while they're pumping new money into, into the financial markets, prices are going up. Um, mm. And so instead of actually investing money in, into income-generating activities, into productive um, sectors... So, um, investors prefer putting that money back into the financial markets, betting, so to speak, and 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 the money essentially stays trapped in the financial markets rather than than and only only a little bit. I'm not going to say none, but only a very little bit of it ends up then trickling down into the productive sector sectors and and, and creates new incomes and and future production productive values. So it's spitting rather than a heavy rain, that, yeah. which is what we would want. That. Okay. Uh, so, so was this dip a one-off, or should we continue to expect these big fluctuations in the markets in the coming year, or maybe even a crash? Look, I, I, uh, this actually reminds me, I was with an Uber driver the other day, and he started giving me advice on um, investing in Bitcoin. <laughs> and, in, and, he started, and he started kind of giving me advice in, on, in stock markets as well, and John Maynard Keynes in 1928 had a similar kind of experience. I read about this recently with a taxi driver just before the Great Recession in 1929. And at that point, he said he advised all of his friends to, to take all their money out of, out of the stock market. Now, it's just interesting because what Keynes also said was that you can't ever really predict when there's going to be a crash, right? Mm -hmm. You can't because it's uncertain. Um, and I don't know if there would be, I don't think there would be a crash this year, um, to be honest. Um, but I do think that there's definitely going to be increasing volatility as, as, as time, goes, time goes on. And I think if, any, if history has, has, has taught us anything, there is no end to booms and busts. Eventually there will be a bust. I mean, I'd, I'd, I think Frank's um, covered a lot of fair ground there. Um, I think there is an element to which we've, through this QE, through this quantitative easing, through this money being pumped in, that one of the impacts has been a, a sort of a real calmness, a bit like I was describing with, you know, the return of the fear index, that volatility, people are betting on market volatility again. 
Um, and uh, UBS, um, the Swiss bank, were one of the first groups to come out and say, we think this is a return to kind of what we would be more normal, i.e. some volatility in the markets is normal. So it's more that it's, uh, at this stage, indications suggest it's more a return to normal levels of volatility as opposed to a really quite strange experience of calmness and, and steady rising um, or even quite fierce rising. So I think it's it's more that it's, it's a return to a kind of, in inverted commas, more natural state for the markets where what comes up goes down a wee bit and vice versa. So Anna, are, are computers part of the problem here? Um, well, one of the things to remember is when, when we think about um, some of the films we've seen, some of the historical pictures of the stock exchange um, or various stock exchanges, is it really doesn't look like that anymore. 90% of trades now are done by computers rather than people. Mm. So when we have what we might call like a triggering event in the market, when some new data is released and people are trying to change their trades based on that, there are algorithms informing computers, a very large amount of the stock market, and they will, as a direct result of that triggering event, start triggering a sell-off. They will mm. follow their algorithm. So it becomes much more difficult to kind of slow down or to um, to th- to then sort of start like pausing things and start thinking about the different factors that might be at play. Once once that moment's been triggered, it can then cause a bit of a, I think, a sort of uh, um, kind of a landslide moment, as it were, where things just start... Um, escalating you can have a sense that people aren't very in the equation of the markets a lot of the time okay so just to take us home uh, and do a bit of translation what does this tell us about the wider economy and and what does stock market dips like this mean for the average average person look for me what it shows is that we have a massive disconnect between our financial system and, and people on the ground that our financial system essentially remains the master over our economies um rather than kind of being the servants uh, to us. I really think that the economic ideology that pervaded um, before the 2008 crash um, remains essentially still intact. There have been, there's been virtually very little reckoning and few lessons have been learned. So essentially what happened is, I think, is that new data came out saying that the economy was doing better for most people, that wages were going to increase and that unemployment um, was going down. Financial markets responded negatively. They threw a bit of a tantrum and major policymakers and decision makers um, got worried. So we've built a system essentially where stability is a function of wage stagnation and growth can only happen in, in stock markets and, and really never in wages. And essentially what we need to do is, is change things and return the system to where, where people are the masters over finance. Anna, do you agree? Um, I, th- I think I think there's there's a lot in in some of what Frank said. I take a slight a, a very slightly less negative view. That's I think good, it would be fair to say. I think it starts with the fact that yes, the the market reaction might seem a bit odd, but the underlying reason for it is that we've had really good data. We mm. have really good levels of employment at the moment in the US and the UK. Um, em- employment is 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 incredibly low uh, at the UK to the point where lots of policymakers are going to having to say we don't know what a kind of normal unemployment level is anymore. So, uh, but what I think is true is that wages have been very sluggish to re- recover after the you know the big financial crisis. But I think what we may have had with this quantitative easing effect is that 
what it did is it's meant that the recovery's been really slow. It then takes a long time to reach the point where the economy starts actually growing rather than just recovering, rather than just going back to the new normal. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're starting to see now is a bit of a return to the new normal. We're starting to see some positive signs of wage growth. Now, we've had very high inflation, um, partly as a result of the currency devaluation when we um, when the Brexit vote came through. Mm. However, what we're starting to see is wage growth pick up so that it actually is going to start overtaking our inflation levels, hopefully towards the end of the year. And people are going to start feeling that the pound in their pocket is starting to actually bring them a little bit more. Coming back to the connection between the market and the real economy, I think there's a sense that this kind of the trajectory it's been on has been a bit unreal when you look at some of the real economic data. But at the moment, we are in a really strong period of global growth. Mm. I think what's important at the moment is that policymakers take the advantage of the fact that we've got very high employment, that wages are starting to pick up. And they start to make sure that they're sort of fixing the roof while the sun is shining, i.e., you know, making Mm. efforts to reduce our deficit and things like that in the country, making sure our public finances are in order, because now's the moment to do it. Now, Now we have the opportunity, now that we're in growth as opposed to recovery, to start trying to take advantage of that. And that's when ordinary people are going to start feeling the real benefit more. But it's been a long time coming. I do agree it's been a long time coming. Mm. Yeah, my favourite response to that is Myrie B- Black's quote on whose back is the sun shining <laughs> from her maiden speech. Love that. Uh, thanks, Anna and Frank, for jargon busting the stock market with me. Uh, so to finish up, I just wanted to ask a question about the principle behind stock markets and whether they should exist. Um, so, yeah, do we need to have them? Is that a stupid question? Overall, do we think they're a net benefit to our economy? Even if when they crash, they have major impacts for ordinary people, are they still good? Let me know what you think. I definitely think we should have have stock markets. I think they um, they definitely because essentially it is as I was explaining before. It's just kind of letting um, companies kind of get people to invest in them, and and that you know definitely has value adds value to our economy. I think that they need to be regulated in in the right way. Mm. Um, definitely, I don't think we can just leave it to the free hand of the market. I also think that. When we look at the broader spectrum of financial markets, there's different entities in there that we could definitely get rid of um, completely, but that's that's a bit more debatable. But we definitely need, I think we need stock markets. I think that, that overall they, they do, do good things. Okay, Anna? I think um, we definitely need stock markets and we definitely needed them a lot in the last few years when we've had very, very low interest rates. They've been a great way for people that um, are trying to get trying to grow money that people put into their pensions they've been a great way to get returns on that they've been quite attractive for some people who are trying to do better than their the savings rate that they can get in a, you know a general savings account so i think it's important that throughout a common an economy you've got different kinds of assets people can choose to put their money into riskier things if they understand the risks involved Mm. or they can choose to put it in a safer place, but it might have a, less, a lower return for them. They might not be able to grow it as quickly. Mm. So there's, consumers can be quite empowered by the stock market in some ways, even though it might not, you might not realise it because your pension seems like quite an abstract thing at the time. But sometimes, you know, the stock market going up and, and, and uh, you know, can be, can be a good thing or being more volatile can be a good thing because you can earn money either way. What, if what goes up and what comes down, you know, it's not just always a negative thing. But people have to understand the risks involved with investments. Um, and, you know, there needs to be a lot of transparency about that. I think it's important that when politicians are talking about markets being a great thing, if they go up and up, that we also keep a sense of the perspective that they can also go down. Companies can fail. So when you invest in one, you have to be aware of that. Okay. 
thanks both. I feel like I've got a much better understanding of what's going on and I don't I don't feel as depressed as usual. So that's good. I think that's good. It's a strong outcome. All right. So thanks, Frank and Anna, for being our guest this week. And, and thank you, lovely listener. If you've enjoyed this episode, maybe tell a friend about us. People need the weekly econ pod in their lives, let's be honest. The Week Economics podcast is produced by Hugh Jordan and James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you next week.